going to pick up where we left off and the story of what happened after the resurrection and so we're going to get situated here again that the Lord may prepare our hearts to receive his word uh, let's pray together now Father God we are very excited about this passage that's so hopeful so welcoming for those who struggle with sin and wandering and wanting to come back to you after moral failure or compromise, we do look to you now to guide our understanding so that we can be assured of your great love and put these truths into practice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Remember back writing letters in the old days, you used pen and a piece of paper, and commonly, after you would write your letter out, there was always room for a P.S., right, from the Latins and postscriptus, whatever, right, meaning after writing, and so a P.S. is kind of a by the way, I don't think we do it much digitally anymore, uh, but P.S. was the way to go if you had a brother two brothers writing to each other. Maybe one went away to college. One would write to his brother John, and then at the end of the letter, he would say, P.S., that problem I had with Steve, I told you about, it's all worked out. So P.S. always kind of served the purpose of tying up any loose uh, ends, you know, not leaving somebody hanging, right? And John chapter 21, believe it or not, is called an epilogue. Uh, it's a fancy word for a PS, really. It's after John finished the gospel that ended in chapter 20. He said, hey, here's the purpose of why I've been writing to you, that you would believe that Jesus is the Savior, and by believing in him, have eternal life, period. And then there's P.S. chapter 21. And the commentators agree that there was a need for a P.S. to tell us the thing about Peter. What happened to Peter? Where Peter had this terrible moral failure. He denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. And surely that word got out because it was public. Everybody knew about it. And so then he is going to have a prominent place in church planting and missionary work in the book of Acts. The Lord knows this. And so we need to know how Peter went from a total failure, spiritually speaking, and being compromised uh, to a great man of God. So chapter 21 tells you how he went from moral weakness to being reinstated and welcomed back into an intimate relationship with God. And so what's so beautiful about even Peter's fall 
is that it ministers to us all. That God, in a Romans 8.28 kind of beautiful way of working all things together for good, can use even a terrible thing like Peter's uh, denials uh, to show us who are very much like Peter, the sin so easily entangling us. And Did anybody have a perfect moral week last week that you perfectly uh, lived up to every uh, standard that God has for his people? Of course not, right? And so there are small failures and large failures, but we fail. And that's kind of the state of being a broken uh, human being, that the very thing that we don't want to do, we do. And the very thing we know we should do, we don't. And that happens a lot in this perpetual cycle of falling and then feeling, how do I get back? So this PS serves as a way to show us, to encourage us, With God, there's always a way back. If you turn toward him, he will welcome you, he will reinstate you, he will use you again. Because a lot of Peters out there think, is he done with me? I keep going backwards. I keep returning to the very thing he freed me from. And there, I mean, it's awful. So, you know, if I were him, I'd have nothing to do with a guy like me. But he says, oh no, that's where we're different. You see, the Bible says that when we are faithless, he is faithful. And here's what it says after that. It says, for he cannot deny himself. A lot of people don't know what that means. What does that mean? It means he doesn't have any other options. When he makes a deal with you, you come to him and he says, uh, we, we say, we love you, we give our lives to you. And he says, I, and I love you and I give my life for you and I'm with you all the way and I'm with you all the way. Well, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He doesn't have this fair weather uh, friend mentality. He just upholds his end of the bargain no matter what you do. Sorry. That's what it is. He says, you can always come to me and count on me if you turn, you come to me. I'll never turn you away. And so that's the beautiful thing. Please listen, <laughs> always listen in a sermon. Ask God to help you to hear what God's Spirit is saying to you. We're really good at hearing the sermon for the guy who's not here, right? We hear the sermon, and you guys come and you say, Oh man, I wish John was here to hear that. And I really bite my tongue every time and say, well, what did you get out of it? You know, oh, no, no, this is for John, you know. Well, yeah, no, don't do that with the scriptures either. Read, I'll tell you what, your whole Bible reading will change if before you read the Bible, you read not to get through the chapter, not to get some information, but you say, Holy Spirit, talk to me, talk to me. Point something out to me that I need to know from you. I'm listening. And you're reading between the lines. How could this apply to me? When you're like that with God, Bible reading becomes a very enjoyable experience. It becomes life. It becomes real. 
if you're bored with Bible reading, it's because you're not combining what you're hearing with faith. You're reading about stuff. Who wants to read about stuff? But to hear from the living God about your current life, now that's another thing. And so let me give you some context before we see how somebody who really messed up is welcomed back into intimate relationship with God and then has all the hope in the world to go forward and to be used again even though. All right? So here's the context. If you were here last week, you're already tracking. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's alive, just like he promised, (laughs) and the scriptures prophesied. And the disciples were told, head back from Jerusalem, back to Galilee, where he'd meet them there. Well, you'll remember they returned home, and the lead disciple, Peter, gets a little antsy. He's struggling, you know, in the wake of his moral failure. He's depressed. He has some guilt. He's apprehensive. Uh, Jesus isn't showing up quite on time. And so he's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm going back to what I'm good at, back to my old ways, what I know best. And so, yeah, the Lord made sure that they would find no comfort in doing that. They went back out fishing, something that God had called him away from, right? And so when they're out there doing the the work out there, God does a miracle and makes sure that he's not successful. It's a reverse miracle. It's the miracle that says, oh no, you're not going to find your happiness doing your own thing out there. In fact, he appears on shore after a night of miraculous nothing. (laughs) Not even one fish. Nets coming up, nets coming up. They're cold, they're they're angry, they're frustrated, uh, they're hungry. And he calls from shore and he says, hey, how's it going doing your own thing? Just checking in, you know, any luck out there? Just going back to your old ways, forsaking the ways of the Lord, just uh, trying things in your own strength, working for you? And their answer, not so much. And, And he says, so you, and this is how he phrased it, remember last week? You didn't catch anything, did you? And they say, no, we didn't. Right, And so, yeah, because he has to set us up for failure, he has to allow us to fail in a dead end. Oh, no, 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 this isn't where you're going to find it. No, closed door, closed door, closed door, empty net, empty net, empty net. And then he says, hey, try listening to my voice. Try doing it my way. Throw your net starboard. You'd be happy you did. What a concept, listening to the Lord and doing it his way. Disciples of the Lord, (laughs) boom, they do it. And the tug, remember I told you 153 fatties, you know, they counted the fish, they were keepers. Tilapia is the fish that's most common there. It's kind of carp, and it can weigh up to 15 pounds. If you times that by 153, folks, you've got a ton, literally, 2,000 pounds of fish tugging down. And the Lord's like, do it my way. And you'll be blessed. Even if the net comes up empty, as I said last week, your heart will come up full with joy because you've done it his way. And so, yeah, they connect the dots. John goes, it's the Lord, deja vu, come on, there he is. And Peter goes crazy, jumps out of the boat and wades his way back to the shore where they find uh, Jesus. And they're awestruck in wonder 
again. And no doubt, they're still tired. They're famished. They're shivering wet with damp clothes. And Jesus smiles and says, Come and have breakfast. Yikes. After what they've put him through, that last night, oh my word, they all left him high and dry, and this is really the first time they're really going to start talking. They've met a couple times. but Come and have breakfast. Happy, warm, inviting. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread. This is unbelievable to me. He's serving them. He's God in a body. And he's serving these fishermen who turned their backs on him. Hey, guys, breakfast, welcome. Bread, fish, anybody? Breakfast is served. 14. So it is the third time that officially they met. They met the first Sunday night. They met the second Sunday night when Jesus manifested in his congregated people, because that's what he does on a Sunday, both times. This time now is the official third time with seven of them, all right? When they finished eating, oh, it's time to do a little soul searching. That's how we get back in right fellowship. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. That's like saying Simon Johnson, all right, using his full name. Mr. Simon Johnson, do you truly love me? more than these other guys love me. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Mm. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt. And for good reason, when you find out what's going on, they're using different words. Jesus is really doing a number on him. <laughs> do you love me? Peter's hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, look, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. Beautiful words, really a gold mine. We're going to dive in now to that first part, but know this, there's a first the welcome, the warm welcome, and then really the, um, the restoration, the, the soul-searching question that comes, right? So many helpful insights here, especially for those of us who like to wander prone to wandering, Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love, like the hymn we sing, right? Uh, and so, yeah, we deny him, we do, we deny him. We say we know him. Do you know the Lord? Yeah, I know the Lord. And then what? Let's isolate something from the last two weeks. It doesn't, doesn't look like you know the Lord in that moment. How about in that moment? And, and then what did you say to your wife, and how did you say it? And and, and what was your work ethic? And And... Did you cut corners there or say this or think that or feel that? or? Oh, no, I know the Lord. How do we go from realizing in those moments, how do we get back to right 
fellowship with him, right? And so in this great PS, there's great comfort. And uh, Jesus' heart toward Peter is his heart toward us. Anyone who turns toward him. When you turn, that's the key. We're going to talk about that. And so let's dive into the warm invitation there. You'll see it there. And then the soul-searching question, right? Uh, Often getting right with God is a little painful because he forces you by his word, and that's what he's doing, his voice, his word, uh, to face some uncomfortable truths. But if you don't face those uncomfortable truths, and it may take him three times to get you there, you you can't go forward. You can't fix something unless he can cut in there and you can say, yes, Lord. And and Peter is, believe it or not, he's acknowledging some things uh, by the choice of words that he's using. And so uh, we dive in now, verse 12, uh, come and have breakfast. He says, uh, none of the disciples really have the nerve to say, now we know it's you, but you don't look like you. So what's going on? They don't have the nerve to say that which is good, right? They just know, look, he's changed. We don't recognize him, uh, but it's him. But we're not going to be so rash, the word can mean rash, as to just say, so what's up with the new body? They're not going to do that. They're just stunned. Uh, they, They realize in their earthly time with him, which was just so recent, uh, they were uh, more uh, involved with his human side because he's 100% human. But now they're aware of his divinity. And that's why they're staying back. And you'll see in your text that he has to go to them to serve them because they're a little stunned. They're like, uh, nobody's talking, right? They're like gazing, <laughs> right? And so, yeah, uh, it's just interesting here. Surprised by mercy? Surprised by mercy. I mean, maybe Peter, who has some moments of moral shameful compromise, uh, who's disgraced himself publicly in front of people, in front of a husband, in front of a wife, for our uh, understanding, done a belly flop. Have you ever done a belly flop in front of people and you're just like, everybody just says cringing for you, spiritually speaking? Well, yeah, that happens. And then when you come back to Jesus after you fully knew what you were doing and chose to do it and say it or embrace it, and yield to the temptation fully in full knowledge and full experience of having tasted and seen that the Lord has been good to you, still do it. You may expect to come to the beach and see a stern look on Jesus' face and hear harsh words coming from his lips. But you'll be pleasantly surprised, as Peter was, uh, to see a smile and a welcome. Hey, I made you breakfast. Come on, you guys are hungry. Let's eat. And he called them boys. He, that was his pet name. He got, in King James it says he calls out to them children, right, earlier in the passage. He's not calling a bunch of grown men children. He's using, it can mean it's playful. It's like a pet name. It's like fellas, buddies, bros. It's that word. And so he says, hey, that's the spirit of the breakfast. He's not angry. You can tell when someone's angry. He's like, uh, let me serve you. Hey, you look hungry. Extra bread for you. You know, the way The Chosen, the, the, the film series, uh, uh, The Chosen, 
it just has this beautiful way of, of, um, of showing the human interaction a little bit better than the stiff renderings here that we only get the outline of. So instead, we don't hear him say, man, you could uh, hear, you'll need another piece of fish from Jesus saying things like that. And you know that's how he set them at ease. But let me tell you this. It's all because he's turned. First of all, you've got to know this. He he did a U-turn, didn't he? I mean, hello, look at the boat. He's on the boat. He jumps in. He's coming away from sin and denial. Denying Jesus is not on his mind anymore. As far as he's concerned, that's never going to happen again. And he is going straight to the feet of Jesus. That's all the difference in the world. If he's still out there going, I don't know him. I swear to God I don't know him, which is what he said. Oh, we've been talking something else. We wouldn't be talking a warm breakfast waiting for him. It's all in the turning. And by the way, no one turns without God's favor upon your life. He blesses us with the desire to turn. We would not have the desire to turn to God unless he put it in us. His kindness leads us to repentance. So the very fact that you're uncomfortable in your sin and you desire to come back to him is sign that he's for you. He's rooting for you because he put it in you to want to come back. Because you wouldn't if he didn't. So this is a good thing that you're uncomfortable. It's a good thing that you're wanting and longing and understanding, I'm not in the place that I should be. I'm not the person God is making me to be. I can't believe I'm doing this or saying this or thinking this or embracing this. And he says, well, come on, take the next step. Because whoever comes to me, I will never cast aside, ever. That's your promise until your last breath. It does not matter how many times you fall because a person right with God, and I'm quoting the Bible, a person right with God will fall seven times. That means we're constantly slipping and falling. But it says they get up. Now the only person who cries out, help, I've fallen and I can't get up, is this old lady on a commercial. That was way funnier than you gave me credit for. <laughs> and maybe you just weren't ready for it. Okay, I, I understand that. But okay, the wicked, the outcast, the cursed, at the moment, they fall, they like it. They stay down. They keep falling. They have no desire to stop falling. Oh, that's a bad sign. The desire in you that makes you uncomfortable is proof that God loves you and is not going to let you go. He's put that desire in you and you're not going to go that way because he has other plans in store for you. Now, uh, before Jesus' death on the cross for his shenanigans, Judaism would have put a guy like Peter to death. Sorry, religion will kill you because it demands that you be good. And you can't be good. Uh, religion, his religion said, thou shalt not lie. That's the law. And he lied three times in light. In, in, he, he sinned against light when he denied knowing the Lord. Where does Revelation chapter 22 verse 15 say, all liars go. 
All liars will take their place in the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. Quote, now Peter, you're a liar. Why are you acting? You say you know him, and then you say you don't, and you do things that totally an unbeliever would do. So what's up with that? Well, if you're under law, you're a dead man because you're headed for condemnation. You're headed for some fiery coals. Jesus called them fiery coals. But the only fiery coals in store for this liar is fiery coals that keep in his breakfast warm for him. Because on those grills, on top of those coals, are hands serving that have been pierced for his lies, for his adulteries, for his fornications, for his lusting, for his embezzlement, for the way he treats his wife, for his self-centered attitude, for his pride. Jesus went to that cross and said, I'm Peter. Pour out your wrath on Peter. I'll take it. And he said, I'm Ross. I'm Ann. I'm Adam. I'm Loretta. All their sins, their whole lifetime. Put it on me. That's who I am. When Jesus was baptized, God the Father spoke audible words from heaven to show people, just in case you think my son is getting baptized for his own sins, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. There's no sin in him. He's going to identify as you a sinner. So he's identifying with sinners because he's going to become one by hanging on that cross. It says the sinless one was made sin. He put our sins on that sinless body and then struck him as if he were the devil himself. That's why Jesus cried out in anguish, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Well, because he was us. For those moments, he was you and me. So no fiery coals awaiting him, just coals that have been cleansed at the altar. The drop of blood went on those coals, and now those coals are redeemed and only warm up a breakfast and he's serving them. Grace upon grace, let me show you this beautiful thing about our gracious God. Uh, John chapter 1. For from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For Judaism, the entire Old Testament was given through Moses. Grace and truth comes through Jesus. No one's ever seen God but the only God, referring to Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And so this grace upon grace, every time you wake up, every time you wake up, if you turn from your sin every single morning, he says, new day, new mercies, it didn't happen. Now, yes, the consequences linger, but he's saying, you want to start new? You want, you want to pretend like you didn't say that or do that? You have to live with some of the consequences, practically speaking. That's life. 
But as far as you and me, we're good if you've turned. Insincerity. The problem with us is we hear something like that and our sin nature goes, awesome. Because next time, I'm going to just think, well, you know, there's always a warm breakfast waiting for the, with the nail-scarred hands, and he's always going to be, it's cool. <clears throat> Why don't I just one time just indulge myself? I'm not really hurting anybody, but just kind of, since we're under grace, and God already knows how warped we are, and so he heads us off at the pass in the scriptures with these three little babies. Romans 6 1, he's preaching the gospel, and Paul pauses and says, okay, because he'd been going, grace, 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 grace. <clears throat> then he says, okay, so maybe you're thinking we can keep on sinning so that God can show us more of the grace. He'd be cooking us breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know? And we just do our thing and just keep coming back, crying a little tear. Oh, I'm so sorry, you know? And then, you know, have some waffles with Jesus, and it's all good. No. Oh, it doesn't work that way. He knows the difference. He knows when, we, when we're taking advantage of grace, when we're driving in the emergency lane, it's there for emergencies. If you drive in it, you're going to be pulled over and cited, and you're going to pay a fine. You don't drive in the grace lane. Yeah, we live in grace, really. But you don't take advantage of it. Like in Jude verse 4, some ungodly people are saying God's grace is a license. Oh. And don't think that that not one person in this room has not thought, well, you know, I'm under grace. Everyone, including me. We've all done that. In the heat of the moment, whatever it is, we just kind of lighten up because, you know, you know, you can always come back. Let me tell you this. You can always come back. And I believe if you truly are born again, it didn't happen by you earning that. You can't unearn it. It's done forever. However, you can destroy yourself. Still, in the grace of God, you're still going to heaven. You will, as I like to say, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, check this out. You can crash land on the runways of heaven. The plane goes up in a ball of smoke. The angels pull you out, hose you off, and go, welcome. Phew, that was close. And what does it say? What does it say in the Bible? It says in 1 Corinthians 3, the chapter I'm talking about, it says there will be some of you who build with shoddy materials your Christian life. And you go back to your sins, you do your thing, you don't take things seriously. He says for you, it'll be, you'll still be saved, but as through the fires... Like, whoo, right through. Just like with nothing to show for it, no eternal reward. And so go ahead and take advantage of the grace. You'll still be saved. But you will be different in heaven because of it. You will serve in a different way. You will serve in a less noble and honorable way. You will serve. And nobody will be walking around heaven going, oh, I can't believe I deserve this. You know, you know, no, no. It's going to be perfect. You're going to be happy. But you will diminish your capacity to serve in honorable ways there by your lack of faithfulness here. So, so yeah, let's balance this out. Yeah, the breakfast is always waiting there when you turn. But if you're going to play games with him, 
then you're going to get the paddle. That's all I have to say. No one who's born of God truly, you've got the Spirit of God, you can't live in sin. He says, yes, of course, the Bible always says, of course we have sin. We have sin every day. It's not the same thing as living in sin, in a lifestyle that is characterized by blatant disobedience. It's different. You cannot call yourself a Christian that way, and don't kid yourself. You're constantly getting drunk and partying constantly. There's no way. The scripture says no way God lives in you. No possible way. Constantly? You're always, you do porn every single day. The Bible says, liar. You don't know him. You can't. Because God put his life in you. You can have seasons of falling and seasonal problems and addictions you're struggling with and all of that. But I'll tell you what, you're a candidate for being surprised on the last day with him saying, what? Have we met? I don't even know who you are. What do you mean? I was a Christian. I went to the rock. I did this and that and the other thing. And he goes, no, we never met. And you could have figured it out because you blatantly was a, still continued to live in your sins. Can't do it. The, the, the Bible just says you can't. It's a physical impossibility. You're going to go one way or the other. Right? Yes, we all struggle and yes, we have sin. But I think the scriptures speak for themselves. And there you go. Uh, let me close up with Titus 2 for this point. The grace of God doesn't teach us to be careless. <laughs> the grace of God that has appeared, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So you know that when push comes to shove in Acts chapter 2, when Peter, 50 days from this scene or so, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and the authorities are around going, what's up? What is this? What's going on? And Peter stand up and go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Ask Thomas. Oh. No. The grace of God teaches the heart. Oh, we don't ever want that to happen again. Oh, that's nasty. That's dark. That's not what Jesus wants from me. So the grace of God teaches us, oh, I'm pulling me to be a man of God. So that on that day, when he gets his second chance, he stands up and he goes, listen up, everybody. You're asking me who this man is? I'll tell you exactly who he is. He's the Lord of glory who you crucified. Wow. That's a lot better than, I don't know him. And what a difference 50 days makes. When the Holy Spirit comes, you've repented, you've come to Jesus, you've had your breakfast, and then he's asked you all the hard questions. And that's where we're headed now, to the hard questions. Because you know why? Once he's assured us, I love you, are you kidding me? Get over here. I told you we were going to do that anyway. I knew, I prayed for you. Remember on the night you were saying, all these scoundrels are going to leave you high and dry, but not me. And I told you, Peter, listen, the devil's like knocking at your door. He's knocking at my door saying, do I have permission to test this guy? So I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Yeah, so he, he's, he sees it, he, he knows about it, and he's willing to come to our rescue. And now that he's settled them and they realize, I'm safe. I'm loved. I'm welcomed. 
Now we will lay still on the operating table and he, he brings out the sword of his mouth, which is called the word of God. God is speaking, it's his word. Sharper than a two-edged scalpel in the hands of the great physician to cut in and go to where spirit and soul divide. He said, that's code for I made you, I know how to get around inside that heart of yours and that head, that soul. And I'll go right in and I will, quote, expose the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. Expose them to you. He knows them already. So the word comes around like a mirror, worse than that, a sword that cuts in and goes, look at this. You say you love him, but do you? That's enough to unravel somebody. He doesn't come at him and goes, oh, what do you mean? You know, doing this and the other thing. And you say you love me, Peter, but what about this and that? Oh, no, he, he's got a better way of doing that. He knows us personally. He gets in there and he starts working, helping us to really reflect in truth with his guidance Let's look at this honestly. Let's face the facts. This is who you are. I don't condemn you for being that way. That's who sinners are. But we have to acknowledge it. We have to look at the ugly. This is what you do. This is what your problem is. Let's own it. And then we'll move forward. You see? So uh, breakfast is over. Verse 15. Jesus wants an answer from Peter. Hey, Simon, do you love me? He says, yeah, you know I do, Lord. And he says, do you love me more than these other guys? And so we'll walk through these verses now. So what I see happening here is for every profane profession, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. I love you, I love you, I love you. By a fire, no less. That's amazing to me. Let's reverse, Peter, the terrible memory of a disgrace, 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 honor, honor, honor. Let's get that out. Let's confess that out, you know? Failure, 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 it happened. Now, affirmation, affirmation, affirmation. It's just this beautiful thing. And yeah, now notice in verse 15, <clears throat> the Lord uses his birth name, Shimon, in Hebrew, Simon. It's anglicized that way. But so he drops the Peter. Why? Painful, and only Peter knows it. Everyone else, maybe not, but that's how God does. He speaks in ways that nobody else knows what's going on except you. You know full well what he's saying by dropping the nickname. He gave him the nickname. He said, yeah, you're Shimon, but guess what? When you're done with me, you're going to be rocky. You're going to be a firm rock, man of God. I'm turning you into a man of God. And so he called him man of God, rock, his whole ministry. Hey, man of God, rock, man of God, rocky, rocky, man of God, firm foundation guy, strong guy. Hey. Now he says, hey, Shimon, you love me? Because what happened, what I saw happen, that's not firm foundation guy. That's not my rock. The guy I was making into a rock, well, where did he go? 
let's talk about Shimon. <laughs> let's see if Shimon loves me, you know, Simon. So he's asking him, and that unravels us. He knows who we are, and he knows how to just hint his way around without embarrassing us to high heaven. You know, Peter's like, oh, you know, already Peter's like, oh, I know. Yeah, I know, I know. So he starts there. Uh, Simon, can you, and this is sad a little bit because he doesn't quite get it. Commentators say, Simon, come on. Simon, can you really still say, in light of what happened, that you love me unconditionally, Jesus using the big fat agape word, that you love me more than the other guys do? Like you said in Matthew 26. So we have it on record that you were boasting that you love me and you're more devoted to me than everyone else in the room. Now, the guys are still around. And he's saying, so is it true? Have you learned anything? Do you still say? Can you still say you love me more than all of these other guys? Oh. He says, yes, Lord, you know. I love that he says, Lord, you know I love you. Well, because he does know that he loves him, and he knows he doesn't have a leg to stand on. He can't say, well, it's obvious I love you because I denied you three times. <laughs> he can't say that. But he knows he loves him. He knows there's a work of God going on. So he just says, God, you know. I can't figure this out. You're asking me. I'm just going to tell you. I don't even know. But yes, in faith, yes, I'm going to say, yes, I love you. You know I love you. It, meaning, you know the, you know what happened. You know I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking. You know why I did it. You understand. You're, we're working this out. Yes, I still love you, and you know, you know, right? So Jesus, I mean, it would have been nice. Commentators say for him to have said, "Boy, are you kidding me, Lord? I've learned something. You know what? I've humbled myself, and these guys, they may have it better together than I do." He's a baby Christian still. You realize that the day of Pentecost, he's completely immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit really hasn't been fully given yet. He's young, he's immature, he's green. He's not the, he's not the guy who wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter yet. He will be where he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God because God opposes the proud, but the he exalts those who humble themselves. That's First Peter. But he's not in that place yet. He'll get there. And so Jesus tries again, and he says, Hey, Simon, do you really love me? And he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then something amazing happens. The third round that hurt him, and here's what's going on. Jesus is using agape, the Greek highest form of love. It means unconditional, the way God loves you. Nothing in it for me. Just love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Number one, 100% full-hearted love. Just for the sake of loving. Not dependent on anything else. Do you love me like that? Do you agape me? Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Not agape. It does mean love but it means brotherly love. It's a lower love. So Peter is really kind of saying, no, I don't, but yes, I have this love. It was really a nice acknowledgement, actually. 
he says, yes, I love you in a lesser way. I love you as a friend. That's what the word phileo comes from where we get the word Philadelphia, brotherly love there. So he's saying, yes, Lord, I love you as a friend. So, so Jesus takes him up on that again and says, do you agape me? I just want to know, do you really agape me? That's number two, right? And Peter answers again, yes, Lord, I just said, I phileo you. Yes, we're friends. And then this is what cuts. Jesus is kind of tagging back on him, keeps saying, we're friends, we're friends, we're friends. So Jesus changes the agape to phileo. And this is what it sounded like. He said, Peter says, you know, we're friends. And he says, are we friends? Boom. Are we even friends? Is that how you treat a friend? You're saying you're friends with me. You're saying, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Hey, do you know the Lord? Yeah, I know the Lord. And he just looks you in the face and says, you do? And then he gives you the look like, you know, what about that? We're friends? You say, are we friends? Yeah, I'm your friend, I'm your friend, I'm your friend. And he says, really? Are you? Don't friends like spend time together? Don't friends talk to? Do you talk to friends? Do you want to hang out together? He doesn't even say that. He doesn't need to say that. He just has to ask the question back and look at his face and say, you're saying you're my friend. You know, when you have a friend over, you know, I was thinking about this because once at a business I was employed for, I was doing the landscaping. Oh, I was in Bible college. And I was crazy in love with Jesus. And so I took wildflower, they gave me a sack of wildflower seed and they said, plant it wherever you want. So I went out by the pathway and I planted wildflower seed in the shape of Jesus letters, J-E-S-U-S. I forgot all about it. And a month later, up came these flowers. You could totally tell. It was awesome. It was Jesus, right? And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I came back the next day and there were boot marks deep all over it, just crushed. That has stayed in my mind that somebody would do that and see these beautiful flowers, you know? And so what I was thinking of when I was preaching was friends, friends. I'm friends with Jesus, uh, you know? And then, and then with a friend, just this beautiful name of Jesus in flowers just walk on it on purpose? That's the silence where the work of God happens. The beautiful, redemptive, life-changing transformation where you're willing to say, I've stomped on the flowers the beautiful flowers that say, Jesus, I've gone ahead and just disregarded. Right in the moment, the Lord's like flashing, no, stop talking like that. 
No, don't slander. Don't gossip. Don't envy. Don't jealous. Don't be jealous. Don't, don't, don't. Fill in the blank. And we step on it. A little extra there. And he says, we say, yes, Lord, you know we're friends. And he says, really? Hmm. I've sat with this quiet in my own heart. It's very hard. It's very hard to do, to be honest, you know? So I was under it, and I, I wanted to share my pain with other pastors. <laughs> and so I texted the, at night, I texted Pastor Jim and Willits, and I said, Pastor Jim, hey, I'm under this thing. The Lord is asking me, Pastor Ross, do you love me? And I have to answer him because I'm preaching to everybody else. What would you say if he looked in your eyes and said, fill in the blank, uh, Pastor Jim, do you love me? And Jim says, I would say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And I texted back, cheater. <laughs> what is up with that? You can't just copy it out of the Bible. So I, I came up with this. I would say, not as much as I should, but I want you to help me because loving you the way you love me if I only loved you a smidgen of what you love me with, my life would be transformed, right? So that's a prayer. But see, it comes after you honestly will say, oh, I, I have my moments when you wouldn't know that I'm a friend of Jesus. I don't talk about them to anybody. I don't, you know, I'm in the car for four hours. I don't say a word, nothing. Just, yeah, there's this, and worse. <laughs> you know, I don't give to the church to the Lord's work because I don't really care about it, but I get my lattes in, you know. Sorry, I mean I'm just talking off the top of my head. Uh, but but he says, so you you're a devoted follower. Yeah, I am. Are you? Yeah, that's what he does. And and here we wrap up with this, and it's amazing. He says, now Peter, we don't have to talk about all of that. What I just taught, did. He says, do you love me? He doesn't do what we just did. That's in his heart later. Right now, he says, do you love me? Then show me. Don't talk about it. By loving my people. The number one thing I care about, Peter, are my babies. They're my babies. The most important thing is, one, that no one goes to hell. Two, that my babies are okay because it's a sick world. There's traps everywhere. There's minefields. They can blow themselves up. They don't even know. They're sheep. They're lambs. The little ones. The vulnerable ones. What's on my heart and what matters to me most, and if you want to love me, you want to bless my heart, you want to ring the bells of heaven, make your life about blessing my babies. Bless them. Feed them. Now, in the pastoral sense, he lets pastors know, number one job, gentlemen, study the word, exposit the word, Feed them the word of God. Do not feed them your clever ideas or positive ideas or, or cool philosophies or open a Christian book from the pulpit. That's not the Bible. Don't show them movie clips and say, we're, we're going to examine the, sorry, <laughs> we're going to examine this movie to what it relates to. No, don't do that. Feed them the word of God, because uh, man cannot live by bread alone. You can't exist by just eating food. You can't live that way. You'll die. 
unless you have the word of God. So the number one priority to show Jesus' love for pastors has to be not counseling. Not number one. Not doing anything other than giving yourself completely to the study to rightly handle the word of God so that you have something of substance to feed the sheep, to put in the, in, in the trough so that people who are poisoning themselves in the world and, and empty and coming up empty and struggling with sin and difficult relationships, they can come in and get fed. The anti-venom is in there, and it's healthy, with fortified with seven essential vitamins. If I, it would have been so funny if I could have said it. So that's what. It, let me close up with this. I love that he said, "Do you love me? Well, then abstain from sin. Do you love me? Then stop denying me. Do you love me? Then uh, have your quiet time, man. Do you love me? Then have some passion, feel love. None of that." Do you love me? Make your life about helping my babies. Now let me close with this. I use this all the time in different ways, but you know I was sick with cancer 20 years ago, so much so I had to have a bone marrow transplant. That's the big gun, like let's try to save the guy's life. So I was in the hospital for 63 days at UCSF, and my kids were 8, 10, and 12. I was separated from them. They couldn't come see me. So I couldn't be manifest in their presence. They couldn't see me. I couldn't see them. But I still had a love for them. And people who loved me knew that. The biggest concern of my heart was not whether I lived or died so much as my babies, my wife. And knowing me and loving me, they cared for Barb and the kids. Some people came and took them to Disneyland. Some people came and took them hunting on a hunting trip, my two boys anyway. They dropped off groceries. They, they came, two uh, young adult girls would come and relieve Barb and say, go out, go out, go out. There was love to me. And every time that I see them, to this day, I moved because they showed their love for me and my greatest concern, my kids. And he's saying, you want to love me and send me over the moon? i got babies all over this place. They're, they're all in need. They're all in different stages. They all can be derailed so easily. That's why I need you to help me with them. Would you please help me with them? Let's leave the denial, denial, denial. You've said, I love you, I love you, I love you. Let's go forward. No more talking about this. Don't need to. Died for it, done, gone. You know, I told the earlier services, you know, some people, they have their thing, and then they want to live in it. You know, they're traumatized by every time somebody says, you know, denial. They're like, oh, no, I need some therapy and counseling and to get on meds because when I hear that word, it just takes me back to this time in my life. And then, you know, you're just, what happens is people like to stay uh, from going forward. And so what they do is they stay in the, the trauma. The blood of Jesus, which we're about to celebrate, frees us from that. He reinstates us. 
to not feel good about ourselves. Now, shoo, now I feel so much better. No, no, no. You may feel better and you will feel better. He reinstates you to serve. Now take care of my kids for me. Let's pray together. Now, Father, God, we look to you. So much there. So life-changing. Help us to get it put it into practice to let you minister to our hearts and each and every time we feel distance let us remember that as we turn to you you welcome us you reinstate us and you equip us and you give us something to do for you to show us how much to show you how much we love you it's in christ's name we pray amen you've been listening to the rocks podcast Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.